Welcome to Bollywood is for Lovers, part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. I'm Erin Fraser. And I'm Matt Bose. In this supplemental episode, we're speaking to producer and screenwriter Sri Rao about his new book, Bollywood Kitchen, available November 7th from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. Before we begin, we would like to respectfully acknowledge that we record this podcast on Treaty 6 territory, traditional lands of First Nations and Métis people. Matt, I am so excited for this episode that we have today. Oh yeah? Why is that? Because this book, Bollywood Kitchen, which we have been fortunate enough to receive an advanced copy of, is one of my favorite things to have come into my life recently. It's basically keyed exactly at you, huh? <laughs> it is. I love to cook. I love to eat. I love to cook and eat Indian food. Um, but over the years, I found it very daunting to to make you know some of these recipes. But this book just simplifies everything. And on top of it, it's full of wonderful film recommendations and beautiful glossy photos of Bollywood movies and stars. I just like this, this book is great. I'm really, really excited about it. And I think that so many people are are going to love it. Yeah. It kind of takes uh, movies and makes uh, two, three course meals out of each one. So mm-hmm. it gives you a little bit of description of the film and then Shows you some recipes that you can go alongside it. And we've made probably, what, eight or nine recipes out of it now? We've made a number of things over the past couple months, uh, you know, because I don't want to recommend a book, especially a cookbook, uh, without thoroughly testing it out. Uh, and, you know, I everything's turned out great. And we love a lot of the films that are discussed in the book and recommended. And Most of them, actually. And yeah, and there's a lot that we've added to our to-watch list because of Sri's beautiful descriptions and recommendations. One of the basic principles on this podcast and one of the reasons why we started it is because we wanted to make Bollywood accessible to people. We wanted to encourage people to watch these movies and to enjoy them. And this book does just that. It's right in line with our ethos. Yeah, it's... um... It's a great introduction, both in the food world and also in mm-hmm. the film world. So we're going to throw it to our interview with Sri. We hope that you enjoy it, and please know when we gush about the book, we're we're sincere. This is a this is a wonderful volume to to have on your bookshelf or to put in your coffee table. That if you like movies and you like to cook, you'll return to time and time again. Great. Well, here's our interview with Sri Rao. So we're here with uh, Sri Rao today, and uh, he is talking about his brand new book, Bollywood Kitchen, home-cooked Indian meals paired with unforgettable Bollywood films. Uh, How are you today, Sri? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, So you are in New York right now? Yes, I am. Cool. Yeah, how's the, how's the weather uh, down there right now? Uh, rainy. We're um, we're getting a storm, but uh, New York is always great any time of the year. I love living here. Yeah, I, wasn't there? It's super hot this year. Yes, New York goes from extremes. It's either super hot and you're sweating bullets in the subway to super cold and you're dredging through a foot of snow on the sidewalk. Yeah, it it does seem kind of extreme, doesn't it? But well, you're, you're from Mechanicsburg originally, right? Right, yes. I'm born and raised in a small town in Pennsylvania called Mechanicsburg, which is a suburb of Harrisburg, the capital. It's right in the middle of Pennsylvania. 
Cool, cool. Yeah, because you talk about in your book quite a bit your upbringing and kind of fusing your American, um, you know, growing up as a kid, but also your families from India and food was a way you connected with your heritage. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. I mean, my parents came here to America at a very early age. Um, my dad came here in 1959 to go to college in Virginia. And so my parents were among the first modern wave of Indian immigrants into this country. Um, most people don't know the history of Indian immigration to the United States, but prior to 1965, it was virtually illegal for anyone from India to um, come to America. Hmm. And in 1965, the immigration laws changed drastically. And for the first time, uh, quotas were lifted that had restricted immigration from India and other Asian countries. And that's when Indians were first allowed to come to America. So when my dad came, there were only about 10,000 Indians in the entire country. Wow. Now there are, you know, close to 4 million, I think, in the last census. So uh, my parents were really pioneers. And at that time, um, you know, I, I was born later, obviously. But uh, when I was growing up, even then in the 80s, there were, you know, very few Indian families in our hometown. Um, I was the only Indian kid in my entire high school. It was a you know, 99% white, 99% Christian community. And we were not able to go to India in the early years because it was so expensive and international travel was um, difficult back then. So I have only been to India a handful of times in my life, but feel really connected to my culture and my roots. And a large part of that, of that being the case is um, what I learned about my culture through food and through films. Mm -hmm. Now, you're a screenwriter and a producer by trade. Yes. Uh, you produced a, a film uh, that we talked about on the show that we absolutely adore, New York. Yeah, um, New York. Kabir Khan directed Yashraj film, New York. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, our uh, episode on Katrina <laughs> Kef actually is our highest downloaded ever. So oh, we're, we're big wow. fans. <laughs> yeah. Well, so am I. I've done two movies with Katrina now, um, New York and Barbar Veko. And she is just, she's a delight. She's a really um, great woman. She is an incredibly hard worker. I know that, you know, she has a reputation, you know, of being just known for, or primarily known for her looks and for her dances and her, um, and for her outward beauty. But the truth is that she is one of the hardest workers that I've ever met in terms of learning Hindi as an outsider, coming, you know, coming to the industry as an outsider, getting to the place that she has, learning Hindi from not knowing a word, um, and really dedicating herself to her roles um, in, a, in a way that I, I really grew to respect having worked with her. It seems like she has potentially the most fervent fan base <laughs> of any uh, Hindi star. What, what do you what do you figure? Uh, I think that's probably true. Yeah, she is um, has an incredible fan following. And I think that that's because Look, obviously, she's in incredibly beautiful and, and people are really drawn to that. But I think that the other thing, um, the reason that I'm a fan of Katrina is because, you know, the person that she is in interviews or on Instagram, if you follow her on social media or on Facebook, mm -hmm. that is um, really the person who mm -hmm. she is off camera as well. Like she is a very genuine person. She will tell you exactly what's on her mind. You know, she doesn't mince words. She's not fake and artificial. Um and 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 I think that that is something that's that's quite uncommon, whether it's in Hollywood or in Bollywood. So, yeah. So you're usually a screenwriter and producer. How did you come to write a cookbook? 
Well, um, it was funny because I was constantly having the same conversations over and over again whenever I would meet people here in New York or in L.A. where I do a lot of work. Um, people would always ask me about Bollywood when they first found out that I've worked in Bollywood. They would say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I've heard of Bollywood or I've seen movies in passing, but I don't really know anything about it. It looks like so much fun. I love those musical numbers. What are a couple of movies that you would recommend I check mm -hmm. out? And so I would have sort of my go-to list of recommendations that people can watch on Netflix or, or YouTube, which you guys probably do also. Yeah. And, yeah, and, <laughs> and a lot of them are mentioned in your book, actually. <laughs> well, great. I'm glad that we agreed on, on that level. Um, and then the other conversation that people would always have with me since I'm Indian is they would say, oh, I love Indian food. What's your favorite Indian restaurant? And I would always have to say to them, um, well, I don't really eat very much in Indian restaurants. Um, and chances are, if you like Indian food, if you think you like Indian food, or even if you think you don't like Indian food, chances are you've never had real Indian food. Hmm. Meaning you've never had the type of food that I grew up with or the type of food that we eat in my home every day, which is very different than the type of food that you get in Indian restaurants in America. Mm -hmm. hmm. Now I've made a lot of Indian food over the years. I've been very lucky to have been taught uh, by some of my friend's parents. I think it was after we went to Vikram Vij's restaurant in Vancouver, you really got interested in it, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a number of Indian cookbooks, but none of them are as accessible as yours. <laughs> and oh, I'm great. wondering how you went about developing the recipes because I've had, I've made a number of dishes from the book. Um, I've had my friends clamoring for the recipes and I've been telling them, oh, you, you have to wait. It's not out yet. You have to wait. <laughs> um, then you have to go buy your own copy. Uh, yes. so I'm, well, they I'm... should buy it early because it's on sale early. So they should buy it early. Oh, okay. So <laughs> I'm wondering how you went about developing the recipes and kind of demystifying Indian cooking for those that might not be familiar with it. Well, you nailed it right on the head there. Like it was an objective of mine to demystify Indian cooking because Indian cooking has a reputation of being very complicated. It has the reputation of um, being inaccessible, having obscure ingredients, and all of those things are not correct. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Indian food is is really quite simple in terms of technique. You know, French food is probably quite complicated. Um, you know, some other types of cuisine might be, uh, you know, Japanese food might be very delicate in its preparation. But Indian food in terms of technique is really simple. All you do is you saute some onions, you add some spices, and then you add your meats or your vegetables. That's it. That's literally it. You can sort of replicate every single recipe with those three steps. Saute onions add spices, then add your main ingredient. Um, but the reason that it has a reputation of being complicated is one, because yes, a lot of the food that you find in restaurants is complicated and unhealthy. It um, includes butter and, mm -hmm. and, and fats and a lot of oil and deep frying things. And frankly, a lot of the cookbooks that have been written up until this point have been written by people who were born in India and raised in India and cooked in that style, which is not realistic for the American kitchen. It's not the way that my mom cooked. It's not the way that I cook here in America. Um, the way that we cook is by using ingredients that are readily available and um, making recipes that don't take, you know, five hours to make, that don't require mm -hmm. 
things that are, don't exist in a North American kitchen. Like it, they don't require a pressure cooker. Most North Americans don't have pressure cookers. Most North Americans are not going to soak lentils overnight. You know, you have mm-hmm. to find ways to cook these dishes in a, in a way that's modern and accessible for the way that we live today. Yeah, and I found that so many of these recipes were able to whip up quickly on a weeknight, <laughs> which yes. I really appreciated. And your pakora recipe, everyone needs this pakora recipe. It's oh, excellent. Good. I've made it so many times. And what you're saying about trying to make things healthier, I yes. really appreciated that because this pakora recipe involves baking them and not frying them. And I don't need to feel guilty about eating five or ten. <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad to hear that because that pakora recipe was quite controversial. Um, oh, really? It's <laughs> yes. very good. It Oh, thank you, because it almost didn't make it into the book because, mm-hmm. you know, pakoras are supposed to be fried and mm-hmm. people love them. And, you know, so the idea of baking a pakora is kind of uh, blasphemous. And um, but I ultimately ended up keeping it in the book because, look, you know, if you want to indulge and you want your samosa or you want your pakora, for sure, by all means, and I have them on occasion as well, go for the deep fried version. But I wanted people to have an alternative also that, like you said, you can do on a weeknight where you don't have to, you know, heat up the oil and, and you know, and smell up the whole kitchen and everything. You can bake these in the oven. And I'm glad to hear that they um, were not just healthy, but that you enjoyed eating them, too. Oh, yeah. I've been making them a lot. I would say that's the recipe I've made the most in the book. Oh, wow. That and the beets. I thought you made the Dabong meatballs a couple times, too. Yeah. 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 Oh, good. Okay. Well, yeah, it's so funny that you mentioned the pakoras because that almost didn't even make it. So I'm glad that that was a standout for you. It's my favorite so far. Now, how did you go about selecting the films to include? Oh, there's there's some like kind of deeper cuts in here, like uh, NH10 and uh, Gangs of Wasipur. Mm Mm-hmm. And as well as some of kind of the big contemporary classics like Yajawani Haidawani and Devdas, which obviously we recommend to our friends all the time. Yeah, it's it's not exactly what we were expecting. And we were pleasantly surprised that you went for quite a few different genres and really new films, too. Thanks. Well, you guys, I think, are the two people that can probably relate to um, the struggle that I went through to pick the films for this book. It was a long, arduous process, let me tell you, because I love Bollywood the way that you guys do. And I've seen hundreds of movies through the course of my life. So to narrow it down to the ones, the, you know, the top ones, the top 75, you know, the top 100, um, I, I primarily profile, I profile in depth 25 films in this movie, but then recommend others. So there's about a hundred discussed in the book in total, but to narrow it down was really difficult. And so let me tell you sort of the way that I went through that. So the first decision that I made is that I I decided to focus on contemporary movies. Mm -hmm. And the way that I define contemporary is from like 1995, 1994, 95 to the present day. And the, the turning point for me was uh, DDLJ, Kuch Kuch Otahe, and Hamaf Gehekon. Because I feel that those three movies, when they came out on the span of like one year or, eight, or the span of 18 months or whatever, I feel like they, it really shifted things in terms of Bollywood entering a new era of 
high production values and good storytelling and um, opening up the audience as well. Like I remember in the mid nineties here in America, when those movies came out, they came to regular theaters. Like they came to mainstream theaters and, you know, it was a big community event to go and see those movies. Um, and we felt like for the first time, um, Bollywood had turned a corner. Um, I wonder if, if that, if you guys would agree on that, that sort of milestone as a beginning of a, of a contemporary Bollywood era. Definitely the NRI focused stuff seems to have really um, like kicked off. Yeah. A, a different cycle. Yeah. I, I agree. But also I would say we came to Bollywood. We're with, way later. So yeah, yeah. Within the past four years. So uh -huh. we started watching contemporary Bollywood and then went back to these milestone of the nineties um, and then back to the 80s and back to the 70s. So we've kind of done things in reverse. But there's definitely right. a shift. You can, you can see yeah, it. Yeah, there is definitely a shift. So, um, you know, I, I, I think you can't undermine the importance of those three films and kind of how they, they changed um, Bollywood and kind of the idea of who a Bollywood film could be for. I sometimes hear people saying that, um, that Bollywood films are made um, for the Indian audience in India. And I sometimes think, well, but, you know, you have films um, like Kabi Kushi Kabi Gum, which, mm -hmm. you know, was huge for the NRI audience. Yeah. So actually these movies are playing, you know, all over the world. And I think um, that shift is very much in the, in the late 90s. It's been kind of fun to reverse engineer references, too. Right. Because <laughs> you get stuff like Humpty Sharma Kidohania and, um, you know, modern day films that are referencing these films from yes. 20 years ago and then mm -hmm. those ones are referencing older ones so just piecing together just through what survived has been really fascinating mm -hmm. it must be like an anthropological study for you guys <laughs> it, it, it a little bit is. yeah and then we we feel really smart when we get a like a joke or something like <gasps> we know that <laughs> we get the inside joke we understand yeah. the reference yeah that's that, that's one of my favorite things that's always very exciting yeah because we saw humpty sharmaki dalhania before we saw DDLJ. Oh, really? Oh, that's so funny. He's okay. totally being like Varun like right now. Look at that. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's funny. Yeah. Okay. You but, probably are the only ones to have had that experience. <laughs> Potentially, yeah. But when we started out the podcast, uh, we also primarily focused on uh, contemporary Bollywood. And we're starting to go back now um, to stuff from the 80s and 70s. But one of the big problems is accessibility. Exactly. And that was the criteria that I was really keen on. And so me, when I first started writing the book, I, I thought that I would include the classic movies like Mother India and Mughalayazam and how could I write about a book about Bollywood without profiling those movies. But then I realized that you can't find good copies of those movies online with good subtitles. Like nope. I couldn't even find them, you know, in searching through obscure obscure websites and such. So um, for practicality, because I wanted the book to be very useful. So for practicality purposes, that was another reason why I decided to start in the mid 90s. I make reference to the earlier eras in the introduction. And so the people who are really interested can go back in and take a look at those. But otherwise, I start in the mid 90s, go forward. And a couple of the criteria, one was that yes, all of these movies have to be available to view online on either Netflix or Amazon or YouTube or Eros or Sling TV, one of those um, sources. And uh, and they have to be available with good subtitles. So that mm -hmm. in and of itself right there, as you guys probably understand, 
rules out a lot of movies because there are a lot of movies that just are not available or are not available um, with good subtitles. Yeah. And, and then beyond that, I wanted to make sure that I represented um, everything that Bollywood is. See, for me, I love, uh, you know, the big romantic musicals. You know, I love the big, you know, Sanjay Leela Bansali mm-hmm. and Karan Johar. Like, if it were up to me, the the entire book would just be, like, Sanjay Leela Bansali and Mani Ratna movies. But <laughs> I wanted to make sure that the book represented everything that Bollywood is and to show people that it's not just those types of movies, that there are horror movies and comedy movies. There are, you know, big action movies as well as little indie dramas. And I wanted to have sort of a cross-section of representation there. Yeah, because Bollywood is not a genre, which is what I find myself right. saying to people all the time. Is it's, it's an industry, and there are all kinds of movies. And I'm pretty sure that whatever you like, I can find a Bollywood movie that you'll also enjoy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I think you, you get that with this book by including, you know, kind of those surprising titles that, that Matt was mentioning, like NH10 and Gangs of Wasepur. And there's a whole section on kids' movies. Kids' movies yeah. are so hard to find in Bollywood. Yes, they are. And I thought that that was really important because I wanted, I discovered Bollywood when my parents introduced me to it when I was, you know, eight years old, I think, when we first got a VCR. And it transformed my world. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to make sure that parents, whether they're, you know, whether they're Indian immigrants or not, that parents would have an opportunity to um, introduce Bollywood to their kids. And so I did a lot of research on um, kids films in Bollywood because, you know, they they there are not a lot of them. Um, So I wanted to watch all the ones that were out there and popular and sort of pick the best ones. So I I, I discuss Star Zaminpur and Iqbal, and then I profile in depth Chiller Party, mm-hmm. which um, I had not seen um, prior to writing this book, but really found it to be like a lovely, family friendly film. Did you consciously try and balance out uh, the major stars and directors? Yes, for sure. Because, you know, again, I, I found myself um, sort of creating my initial list, and there were you know, uh, all of the movies were from, were featured the same, you know, three or four actors, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I wanted to make sure that, you know, you see one Shah Rukh Khan movie and then I can talk about, okay, well, if you liked him, then here are some others to, um, that you can watch. So I really limited myself to, um, no more than two movies from the same director and no more than three movies, um, with the same actor or actress. And I really kept to that rule pretty strictly. Yeah, it's a it's a veritable buffet of stars as well as a buffet of foods. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then the last the last criteria was that I had to be able to secure film photographs yeah. for the films. And that was a huge process because um when I set out to write the book, one of my objectives was there is no gorgeous coffee table book about Bollywood available for purchase in North America. Mm-hmm. Like for me as a fan of Bollywood, so many times for Christmas or for Diwali, I've wanted to buy a Bollywood book as a gift, you know, either for mm-hmm. someone in my family or for even for myself. And I would go onto Amazon and there is nothing. You know, mm-hmm. there are um, there are some there are some books that are out of India, but they're here in North America. They're out of print. There are some academic books that have been published in North America, mm-hmm. but they are academic and they don't have a lot of, you know, authorized film photographs in them. And so I wanted to set out to create like a beautiful 
gorgeous book with, um, you know, beautiful photographs that people can look at and enjoy. Yeah. And, you know, uh, speaking from my publishing experience, that is a gigantic amount of time you had to do on that, right? <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah. And probably a fair amount of expense as well. Well, luckily, I was able to leverage my relationships in Bollywood, having wow. worked with um, a lot of these studios and producers. So they were incredibly gracious um, to allow me to use these photographs. Of course, I had to pay for some of them, but many of the producers um, understood, like Dharma Productions and um, and others, understood the value of a book like this to expose new audiences to their films. So mm -hmm. they were um, happy to provide um, uh, photographs uh, for me to use, and I'm I'm really grateful for them. Well, yeah, I'm happy that they were able to do that because this is a huge outreach project because it's going to be on you know regular cookbook shelves for years now, right? And Hope people so. who've, people who have never seen a Bollywood film but are interested in the cuisine, hopefully they're going to be pushed towards the movies as well. Yes, I hope so. Yeah, and I hope that fans of Bollywood like us can sort of have this book as a coffee table book, you know, as a sort of a souvenir or something to page through and look at photographs of favorite films and also to show other people and say, look, look at this stunning photograph of Devdas. You know, how, how could you not want to see this movie when you see how, how beautiful these, these pictures are? And that's one of the things that I love about the book, because for me as a Bollywood fan, I have difficulty accessing stuff. I like stuff. And so, you know, I can't get posters or my friends sometimes uh, get their family members to pick up copies of Vogue India for me so I can have those glossy pictures right. of yeah. the stars. I love that stuff. I want to look at that stuff. And me Bollywood too. is so colorful. But here in the West, you know, they just we don't have anything. <laughs> We're, you and I are in the same boat. Yes. I found one bookstore or one magazine shop in New York that sells Vogue India in Soho. And so I go there to get my Vogue India, but I'm exactly the same way. I want to, it's such a visually beautiful medium that you want to see it. You want to hold it and touch the photographs. And, and so I feel you, I definitely feel you. It seems like a missed opportunity financially, really like the amount of Desi people who live in Canada and U S the, the the films certainly do pretty well. You think maybe an a aspiring distributor would want to get some of that stuff going? Yes, I you would think so. It's but it's a process with all things Bollywood. It is a pro <laughs> everything is a process. In the book, you discuss how growing up in America, Bollywood and Indian food helped you maintain a connection to your culture. Do you find that food and film, and by extension, your book, has the ability to introduce other non Desi people to Indian culture? Oh, absolutely. And that was the reason that I chose to put food and films together into this book, because I feel like if you want to learn about Indian culture, the best way to do it is to learn about an experience firsthand, mm -hmm. the way that we eat and the movies that we love to watch. You know, it's sort of a, a very ancient um, tradition of people sitting around a campfire, having dinner and telling stories. Mm -hmm. You know, we've been doing that for thousands of years. And that and there's a reason for that. I think it's because it's the way that people come together. People come together around food. They come together around storytelling and entertainment. Um, and it's also, you know, what what we enjoy and what we thrive on. So with the food, 
um, you know, when you eat Indian food, you discover how vibrant the culture is, mm -hmm. the flavors, the textures, the, the colors of it um, reflect who the people are, you know, because it's it's not a bland it's not a bland country. It's not a, it's not a bland culture. Anyone who's ever been to India or has been around an Indian family here in America or Canada knows that it's um, it's boisterous and it's loud and that's reflected in in the flavors of the food. And the same with the films. The reason that you know Bollywood films are tend to be so melodramatic and over the top is because um, the culture is one that celebrates life. You know, Indians in their in their bodies, in their genes, in their you know in their personalities are people who usually um, you know they laugh really loud and they cry really hard and they love to sing and dance and and to celebrate life. And nowhere is that exemplified better than in in Bollywood movies. And it's really great how. The book not just demystifies uh, the food, but also the films. That's one thing that, you know, that's the reason we started the podcast is because we were watching right. these movies and we thought, man, everyone would love these movies if they just <laughs> yeah. gave them a chance. And so. And I you just... need a little bit of an intro to them, right? Yeah. The way the mm -hmm. podcast puts things into context. That's what I wanted to do with not just list the movies and here are the best mm -hmm. Bollywood movies that you should watch, but here is the reason that you should watch it. Here's what it's about. Here's a little bit of the backstory about how it came together. Here's some gossip from behind the scenes of, you know, the actor and the actress and what was going on allegedly off screen between the two of them. And then here's why this movie is significant in the overall landscape of Indian cinema. Sort of putting that all into context for you so that if you're watching it fresh, you um, can appreciate it more. Yeah, that's always been another vector when talking to Western film fans who appreciate, um, you know, older Hollywood movies is that it's not a studio system in India, but it is definitely like based on actors. And if you really like an actor, you can kind of find a community there. It's a star system. It's a star system. And you can also just kind of immerse yourself in the actual business of making movies. And some of them are obviously remakes of Hollywood films, like we just had Saif Ali Khan doing Chef. Mm -hmm. um, right. But there's a twist on them. Like, it doesn't feel like you're watching the same story or the same movie again because um, they put it in the Bollywood context. They and change in the, the Indian, ingredients. There you yeah, go. Yeah, in the Indian cultural context. Yeah. Right. And Ron Leela being the perfect example of that. Mm -hmm. Remake of Romeo and Juliet in a way that you've never seen it before, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've always found that that's another entry point for like people who like older movies here we have one last question for you and i promise that uh i'm not trying to make this a loaded question uh -huh. who is your favorite con oh god oh that's that's easy um, when you talk to bollywood fans you have to ask yeah yeah for sure i mean for me it's pretty easy my favorite con is American mm -hmm. because i respect acting talent above all else and he is head and shoulders um above most of the actors um, in Bollywood today. I have such respect for the roles that he's chosen and the performances that he gives. Um, yeah, easy one. Yeah. Do you have a favorite film of his? I would say, I mean, just because it's top of mind, he did a great job in Dungal. Yeah. He does, he does great in all of his films, but, you know, Dungal was um, really well done all around because he played such a complex 
character that wasn't always likable at all times, mm-hmm. um, which um, I really appreciated. And Dongal is quickly becoming one of the films that I start to recommend to people when they want to get into Bollywood. Partly because it's so easily accessible and also because, man, it's so good. <laughs> it's really good and it's just a universal story that you don't really yeah. need much in the way of explanation as to why uh, this would be happening. Yeah, and it's that sports drama flick, you know, so that's a it's a genre that Westerners can relate to, for sure. Yeah, it's a bit easier to recommend than uh, Lagan, which uh, yeah. apparently when that first came out, they had to give out uh, postcards explaining the rules of cricket to uh, uh, Western <laughs> audiences. And I, right. I'm still maybe like 70% understanding of what's going on in that. I don't understand cricket at all, so... <laughs> oh, good, we're not alone. <laughs> Um, well, thank you so much for coming on, Sri. Uh, you're you. going on a book tour right away here. How can our listeners connect with you, and where and how can they pick up the book? Oh, yes, for sure. Yeah, I'm going to be going across the across the United States and to Toronto. So please follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at New York Three. Um, where you can find the whole list of events. But if New York is coming up very soon, um, I'm having a great um, intimate dinner at Pondicherry, which is my favorite Indian mm-hmm. restaurant. You can get tickets for it, um, again, on my website, newyork3.com. And then I'll be going to Denver, Chicago, L.A., San Francisco, Houston, Austin, sort of all over the place, and Toronto. Um, and um, and the book is available right now online on Amazon, on Indigo, and um, will be coming out on November 7th. But if you buy it ahead of time online, it's actually um, on sale. So oh. get it early. And get multiple copies because you're going to want to give copies to friends as gifts. I've already ordered a couple copies for the holiday season. The nice thing about giving a cookbook as a gift is that the uh, cooking ability of the person <laughs> that you gave it to is immediately increased. And when you go to their house, you get to eat better food. Yes. So it's just a value add all around. And then you can talk to them about Bollywood and we have more friends that will know more about Bollywood. Exactly. <laughs> it's a win-win all around. I love it. Yeah. Exactly. So the book is available through Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. And yeah, thank you very much for coming on today, Sri. Thanks, you guys. I really appreciate it. So much fun. Great, great work with the podcast. I um, love that you're spreading the gospel. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> ATB Financial is the founding sponsor of the Alberta Podcast Network because ATB listens. In Bollywood Kitchen, writer Sri Rao highlights a variety of films from across Bollywood's colorful spectrum. Romances, epics, women's pictures, gangster dramas, children's movies, and even LGBTQ films. In keeping with this diversity, I wanted to tell you about ATB's Pride MasterCard, the first of its kind in Canada. ATB's Pride MasterCard allows Albertans to show their support for the LGBT community. For more information on ATB and their services, go to atb.com slash listen. Have you ever wondered what it might be like to be a philanthropist? Well, wonder no more. The Edmonton Community Foundation is here to make your dreams of starting your own endowment come true. And here's the kicker. You don't even need to be rich. If you can work your way up to $10,000, the funds set up for you by ECF can start granting money to the charities and causes of your choice. Since only a portion of the fund gets granted out, your endowment can help support the community for long after you've passed away. Currently, the ECF has more than $500 million in endowments currently underway and provides $20 million a year to charities and other good causes. If you'd like to make a difference long into the future, check out ecfoundation.org for more details. Well, that brings us to the end of this special supplemental episode of Bollywood is for Lovers. We will be back in two weeks. In the meantime, Matt, how can people keep up with the show? 
Well, you can find us at bollywoodisforlovers.tumblr.com. You can find the show on Twitter at BollywoodPod. You can find me on Twitter at Matt underscore B-O-W-E-S. I'm at Aaron E. Fraser, E-R-N-E, every S-E-R. You can also uh, check us out on Facebook. Just look up at uh, Bollywood is for Lovers there. It's pretty easy. Uh, The show is available on iTunes, where we would love it if you would leave us a wonderful review. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I think we do a pretty good job, don't you? I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We bring interesting content, like this interview. Yeah. The show is also available on Stitcher, um, Audio Boom, and uh, gradio.ca. It's being uh, performed there these days. Uh, if you feel so inclined while you're leaving us a wonderful five-star review over on iTunes, go check out my other show, Trash Right in the Movies, that I do with Paul Matwichuk. What's we, your new episode on? Uh, we're going to be talking about films about suburbia. So we're looking at the new George Clooney film, Suburbicon, and The Burbs, which I think is like a horror comedy. I've never seen it. So. Oh, The Burbs is for sure going to win. It's much better. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, that's a great movie. All right. Well, you'll have to listen to find out. Yeah. Uh, Well, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.